chapter three, we we just for review, this is part four. Um, Daniel had three friends. They changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And those are the three we're going to focus on. And with Daniel, they had been promoted. Uh, and, and you heard some of this through my prayer over Grady. They had been promoted in a foreign land, in a hostile environment, in a pagan environment. They had been, been given great positions of influence. And it was in that position of influence they prepared themselves correctly, they prepared themselves differently, and that preparation allowed them to have a God promotion. And I tell you that because within that God promotion, this is when one of their greatest temptations happened, and we're gonna, we encounter that here in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, the insecure king, Nebuchadnezzar, he decided to uh, design a statue that would honor him 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, uh, a statue that everyone would worship. Now, that was not unusual in a polytheistic society. A new god, no big deal. We, we, we would think that was strange if one of our leaders you know, put up an idol and said, worship me, and we've seen a little bit of that with uh, what... With the communists, with with Lenin and with Mao and with uh, Castro to a lesser extent about how even though they say there's no God, they they seem to worship their political leaders. Uh, But for those in, in Babylon at that time, they were used to many different idols. The problem was now the Jewish young men who had achieved this great leadership position, they... They were not used to that, and not only were they not used to that, that went against everything they believed in and what they were supposed to do. And I just thought this was interesting. I'm going to just share two observations today, but the first one we're going to jump right in is that is the greatest test often come during times of influence. And we, we have talked about adversity, and, and really it's both extremes. I, adversity and power both reveal who we are. And, and most of our lives, we live somewhere in the middle, and we live normal, average times. But when we have times of adversity, we've talked about that before, and then times of blessing and influence and power and prosperity, those are the great magnifiers of character. You find out who people are when they go through adversity, but we forget that we find out who people really are when they have a time of power and influence. And it's sad to me that power has ruined really good men and women. I knew a friend one time that was just, he was a nice person. He was always friendly. He was loving. He was a servant. And something Terrible happened to him. He got a promotion. And here it was. He had a better title. And he was getting paid better. And he had advanced. And we all say, oh, great, great. Advance me. Bless me, God. He got more money, more title, better position. But can I tell you this? He was not a better leader. He was a better leader with less pay and a smaller title, because what happened is when he received that advancement, it went to his head. And he got cocky, and he got he didn't serve anymore. He wanted to be served, and just even his whole demeanor changed. His whole facial expressions would change. 
And, and the sad thing about it to me is that sometimes power can ruin people. And it really can. That unless God has prepared a person for a position or not even, it's not really God's problem here, unless they prepared themselves and really allowed God to change their character and who they are, the power and the influence and the title will ruin their lead. They're a better leader at a lower level than at a higher level. And that's, again, why Jesus said not many of you ought to desire to teach. Not many of you ought to desire to do that because there's a higher standard and there's higher scrutiny and and not all of us can handle power. And so here here's the thing that I'm thinking. You know, we sometimes pray the wrong prayer. We pray, God, promote me. God, bless me. God, advance me. But maybe the prayer we should pray, and I think it is, is God, make me promotable. Make me advanceable, God. Make me have the character and the maturity and the insight that if you want to bless me, I won't screw up my life. Because that's the truth. We're praying the wrong prayer. We're praying, God, bless me. God, advance me. God, prosper me. It's not God's problem. He wants to do those things. It's God, make me advanceable. Mold my character. Mold my integrity. Give me the maturity. Give me the insight. So when I come to the next level, then I'm able to contain the blessing you've sent my way. The three Jewish young men, they had been tested in their preparation. Remember that? That was our, our, our second sermon in the series, preparing differently. And they prepared differently than they had been tested in their preparation. But now they were being tested in their success. And if you think that when you reach a certain level of success or you reach a certain level of influence or you step into a new, new realm, that all of a sudden that it gets easier. Are you kidding me? You're a bigger target then. And that's why the preparation is good and the preparation is necessary. But let us remember of, of some men in the Bible who had moments when they fell. And the moment when they fell was when they were in their highest position of power. Let me remind you of them. A young Egyptian ruler named Moses. His highest position of influence is when he killed the Egyptian. The prophet Samson. King Saul, King David, King Solomon, the rich young ruler that Jesus shared about in the gospel. They were all at the height of their influence. They were all at the place of success. They were all at the the place of blessing. And that's the place where they were tempted and the place where they fell. The higher you go in leadership, the higher the expectations. And can I tell you, those aren't always good expectations. Obviously, with our pastors, with our politicians, with uh, those who lead in, in our schools, those who lead uh, in, in our CEOs, we've given them high scrutiny. We expect certain ethical standards. We expect certain character traits. We expect good things from our leaders. But there's also that works in reverse because the higher you go in leadership, there's also negative expectations that are put upon you. And ungodly expectations. Expectations can be projected on godly people. And that's exactly what these three Hebrew young men, what they faced. They did the preparation. They were positioned and promoted. And there within that position of promotion, now they were expected to worship 
Nebuchadnezzar, which went completely against their faith tenet and what God wanted them to do. With promotion comes scrutiny. Obviously, when you read the text later and, and read the entire text of, of uh, chapter 3, these astrologers, no doubt, had been passed over, and the three Hebrew young leaders had been promoted uh, instead of these three astrologers, and so they were jealous. And can I tell you that when you get to new leadership positions, there's higher scrutiny. People are going to start looking at your life, and they will want to accuse you, and they're going to want to see you fall. You're a target. Now, if you think about this, think about our candidates for uh, president and vice president right now. All four of them have encountered the greatest earthly opportunity of their lives, but they're also under the greatest scrutiny they've ever been under. Look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 3. And this is just to show this in the text. It says, just then, and I'm reading this out of the message, just then some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king, you gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched in a roaring fire furnace. Well, there are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. And these men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. Now, it is at this point that if we begin to use earthly reason and human reasoning, that it is very, very easy to justify compromise. I mean, look how far God had taken these three young leaders. They were supposed to be oppressed. They were supposed to never have opportunity. And here they were in the king's, they had the king's ear. They had political influence. And all they had to do was bow down one time. It's really not that big of a deal. In fact, worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, worshiping this idol, no one really cares because these people... They worship all kinds of gods. It's not going to be a big deal for us to do this one time. The problem is the reason that success is such a great judge of our character and and promotion and prosperity is such a great judge of of, uh, whether or not we're going to stand for God is because it's at those times that we can easily justify, justify and give excuses because we think that our position is, that we have to defend it, we forget that God promoted us. And we say, well, it's okay. I'm just going to cross this ethical line once. I'm going to overlook that report once. I'm going to not report that just this once. Because I don't want it to mess up all that God did for me. You see, hearing it from me, it doesn't make sense. But whatever situation you encounter, it does. And that's when we have to realize that it's our success and our promotion and our blessing is when the test comes. Now, I love the end of the story. I want you to go with me to verse 19. In case you didn't know the end, the king said, you're going to worship me or you're going to burn in this fiery furnace. And and we don't really even know what that was. a lot of scholars think that it was the actual same furnace that the statue was made in there in the 
in the plains of, of Dura, I think that's what it said. And the same statue that formed was formed was going to be the same statue that were going to kill those who did not worship. And we pick up the story here. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach. Now, this is just after they said the scripture that we read a couple of times during worship. They said, even if God is able, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow. We're picking up the story now in verse 19. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing fire. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 23, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. Isn't this a great part? And asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking. Is that not amazing? Three were thrown in, but four are walking. Whether it was a type of Christ or an angel, it doesn't matter. It was God's work there. God was in the picture because these guys weren't burning and there was a fourth man in there. And he says, I see four men, I'm in verse 25, walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and perfect, uh, uh, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowned, crowded around them, and they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Would you not agree that's an amazing story? I mean, that's a faith-building story. That's the type of story that I remember even as a child, you know, with the the flannel graph. Who remembers flannel graph? Is anyone in here? All right. There's coming a day, not not too long, where flannel graph, will, none of us will remember. Uh, uh, but you see the little flames, and you see the three men, and then a fourth man pops up there, and it's like, yeah, what a story. And and, and that is a great faith-building story. And I was even thinking about that story when we were singing the song, because I knew what I was going to preach, you know, that, oh, I walked through the fire. Y'all want to hear me sing? I didn't think so. Um, but in you, I'll put my trust. And I was just thinking about that. And boy, we love that. We love that story. We love that victory. But can I tell you this? Is that's not where the victory was found. The victory, and write it down, is in the obedience, not the miracle. We started that in verse 19, but let's go back to 16, and we're going to read it for the third time today because God's trying to tell us something. And, and back in, in verse 16, before the fire and before the miracle, there was an act of the will. Before we knew verse 19 and on, there was a verse 16 through 18. Before we knew the outcome, the victory happened before the miracle because the victory is in the obedience. Now, it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But I love 18. This is one of, I think, just uh, an incredible phrase of the Bible. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, the true victory didn't happen in the fiery furnace. It happened through the obedience and the uh, lack of compromise and the, the volition that said we will not compromise. That's where the victory happened. I want you to look at Deuteronomy 6.4 and, and, and just to help you give a little more context about this, that, that the key concept of Judaism, here it was, that the faith of these, these young men were trying to be taken from, the, from them. But the key concept in Judaism is the fact that God is one. It's called the Shema. God is one. There is no other. There's not a God of the sun. There's not a God of the moons. There's not a God of the, of the sea. God is one. And, and in Judaism, and so in Christianity, this applies to us also, These two verses are everything in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is, see, this this is not just, you know, sometimes we talk about compromise, and I've even referenced this, well, like, don't cheat, or, you know, don't do something bad, and those are important, but but this goes to even the core of who they are. If they were to compromise, it would violate the very character of God. For the Jewish people, they would repeat this verse over and over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He has a distinct name, a distinct voice, a distinct personality. And if you ever want to talk about a time where these three young leaders were tempted to compromise, they weren't just compromising for a moment. That's what I'm trying to say. This wasn't one of those things, well, I'm just going to let this slide and go to the altar next week. It wasn't anything like that. It was the essence of who they were and who God was. And this classic Hebrew confession of faith, it go on in verse 5, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. God, our jealous God, didn't give room for anything else. And this, this the confession of faith described who God was and what our duty is. In later years, sometimes in some places in Jewish synagogues, when they would read the scripture and the word one was said, they would loudly yell out and strongly repeat one, one, one for several minutes because that was so ingrained in the religion and who they were. To worship this idol was not just a one-time slip-up that God could overlook later. It was an intentional departure from the God and his identity. And they said, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow. What am I trying to get at? Why do you, this is what I'm trying to get at. We're moving in. We're moving in to, to the crux of the sermon. Why do you obey God? That's what I'm trying to get at today. Why do you obey God? Just to get from him? If you, if you obey God, you'll be blessed. And, 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 and it's true because he's a father and he's a giver. Or do you obey God? Because like the three Jewish young men, his character has been impressed on your heart. 
And your obedience defends his honor. Defends who he is. You're not just trying to get back so you don't have to, you know, get, get by with your sin meter and keep it low enough to, to stay out of hell. No. Your actions defend his honor. You represent his name. You defend who he's are because his character has been so ingrained in who you are. Aubrey, I want you to make your way up here. I love in this passage the no strings attached obedience. I mean, that's what I want to have. God, I'm going to obey you because first John says obedience is a manifestation of love. And I don't have Strings attached. I don't have expectations attached. I don't have a secret contract with you, God, or a secret deal that says you have to do this when I obey you. I just want to obey you because you've impressed your character on my heart. And I want to represent you. And you are one. And you will not share yourselves with another. You will not share yourself with sin. There is no mixing of light and darkness. It's either all light or it's either all darkness. And there's a passion in my heart to obey you. Not just to get from you, not just so there can be a miracle, but because there's principle here, right? I want to obey God because of who He is and who He who He represents, not just because I want to get something. You know, we mentioned this in worship, and I thought that was so interesting, but it's in my notes, so we're gonna go. God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. But even if He does not. We will not bow to the idol. God is able to promote me at my job. But even if he does not, I will not cross that ethical standard. God is able to restore my marriage. But even if he does not, I will not break my vows. Are you hearing this? God is able to change the personality of the person I'm in conflict with. But even if he doesn't change their personality and they're still a jerk, I'm going to love them Anyway, even if he doesn't, there's principle here. There's a standard here. It's we're representing God. We're representing his name. We're in a foreign culture. We're in a place that's pagan where people don't want to serve God. And he's looking for somebody. He's looking for someone that has a no compromise spirit in them that says, I'm going to stand for God despite the circumstances. I'm going to stand for God despite the consequences. I'm going to stand for God, not just because he's going to bless me, but because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. His character compels us to obedience. Who he is presses forth obedience within us. So let's lay down that immature cause and effect stuff that says, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it this long. I'm going to keep being faithful. If I'm still faithful, then he'll bless me. Even if he doesn't bless us, we will be faithful. Even if we don't see the manifestation his character demands obedience. And his character demands that for us.